0: Hey, Radiant, I wanna thank you, first of all, for all the concern and all the love that's been poured out, for the food that's brought to our house, to the cards that have been mailed. Uh, Your outpouring of love has just meant so much to us over this last few weeks since I had my episode. Now, many of you have asked and are concerned about how I'm doing. I'm doing well, I'm doing really, really well. Um, What happened to me two weeks ago was a freak thing that uh, I could look back and say, man, God was very, very good to me. Apparently a blood clot can stop your heart, Uh, go figure. Uh, The thing that is is neat about this is that blood clot would never have been discovered unless someone went into my heart to find it and no one was gonna go into my heart uh, unless something big happened and something big did happen. But I'm convinced that through all of that, God allowed something major to happen so that I could, well, survive, I could get fixed and then I would be spared any significant long-term damage Uh, through that episode and that's exactly what happened. Uh, For me, uh, there was no pain going into the cardiac arrest. It's kind of like I just passed out and I woke up a few hours later in the hospital having undergone surgery. But for my family, uh, the situation was a little different. It's far more traumatic and they're still working through some of those details and processing all of that. The extent of how it has changed our life, I'm not yet sure of, but I know there's small things that you can see the evidence of the change. I get a lot more hugs from my children uh, as we walk through the house. Um, As a matter of fact, the other day, Heather and I were taking a walk and she mentioned that she didn't sleep well the previous night. Now for 20 years of marriage, my wife did not sleep well and she would wake me up because I was snoring. And she said, you know, I didn't sleep well last night because you were sleeping so soundly. You were sleeping so quietly. I laid there going, why is he so quiet? So for 20 years of my life, I slept too loud, and now I sleep too quietly. That's quite the unexpected change, and it really surprised me, but it's, it's a change that could only be brought about by something that's that big that happened. Now, you may be wondering, like, where is this going? How does this lead into the sermon? Well, it's exactly this idea that something big happens to bring about a change that's unexpected, and that's, that's what we talked about last week we're in this series called Ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word we translate to church. It's the Greek word to translate to church throughout the New Testament, and it means to um, the, the called out ones. It's used mostly in the New Testament um, of God's called out ones, but really in particular of the local assembly, the local gathering of the church. So, what does this have to do with that? Well, in a similar way to there was a big event that changed and brought about a change in my wife with my volume of sleeping, a big event happened, something big happened to change the way that Jews and Gentiles would look at one another. We saw in Ephesians chapter two through three last week that the gospel, the the, the message of Jesus, his life and death and the the life that he brings as a result um, brings a unity in diversity. Jews and Gentiles who have a long history of animosity uh, have nothing in common, but they're brought together with a common bond in Christ, a bond that brings about an unexpected love and unity that wouldn't wouldn't exist if it wasn't for something big. This unexpected unity is is something that the world takes note of. It's something that brings God glory. we talked about that. And you remember the big point last week was that the ugly side of church, and yeah, there's ugly sides of church because as one of my favorite uh, quotes about the church from one of my friends, people are gonna people The big idea last week was that the ugly side of church is an opportunity for your growth and for God's glory. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how it brings about your growth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And as you do, let me set some background. Uh, 1 John is attributed to being written by the Apostle John later in his life, probably right after he wrote the Gospel of John. uh, John is addressing false teaching that had infiltrated the church, whether it was a singular church that he knew. We could tell from the the style of writing that he was intimately acquainted with this church or a group of churches. This false teaching had infiltrated, and it wasn't aligning with authentic Christianity in terms of doctrine or morality or, or socially, which is the text we're going to look at today. You see, this false teaching brought about a spiritual pride, and as a result of spiritual pride, there was a lack of brotherly love. And as we're about to see, John's going to say that love within the church, within the ecclesia, is a genuine mark of Christianity. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, join me, First John chapter four, starting in verse seven. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have seen, we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, Our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, then how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So what we read here in 1 John chapter four is as John addresses this false teaching that had infiltrated the church is a couple of things that, uh, verse seven through eight, that God's nature is love. That uh, he says that, that love is from God, it's something he gives, but then he says that God is love. It's not just something he gives, it's it's who he is. It's his nature and as Christians, people who are born again, those who have lived what we talked about in Easter as a a, a spiritual resurrection, we share in that nature. Then verses nine through 10, we see that there's a foundation that's laid by the gospel. He says that, that God demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to die for us in our place. Just like Paul did in Ephesians chapter two and three, by starting off with the gospel and saying, here are the implications. John does the same thing. He lays out the gospel message of Jesus. It's the foundation for the therefore. Because of the gospel, therefore do this. And we see that therefore in the very next verse, verses 11 through 12. Therefore we ought to love each other. Now the word ought is problematic. Because if you're like me, you interpret the word ought as some sort of religious obligation, and religious obligations become very burdensome. It's the shoulds of our faith. But really, if you remember verses 7 through 9, we share in his nature. We ought to love each other, not as a religious burden or an obligation. We ought to love each other the same way the sun ought to shine, the way that birds ought to fly, the way that grass ought to be green. We ought to love one another because it is who we are because we are in him and share his nature and God is love. Now we see that further fleshed out in verse 12. Um, He illustrates this, he says this in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Notice it says his love is brought to full expression. See, the love that you share, the love that you show is not a love of imitating God's love. It's not your love and your efforts to, to, to imitate God. It's, it's his love that's in you. We are, we're not, it's not an imitation. It's, a, it's an extension of his love. One pastor said this, he says, the Holy Spirit connects our dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. Let me put a disclaimer here. While your love is an extension and not a religious obligation to imitate God's love, Sometimes you need to choose to imitate. You need to choose because sometimes loving can be a difficult thing. And we talked about that a lot last week, that there is an ugly side of church, that we do step on each other's toes. We do look at each other cross-eyed here and there. We ought to be, um, we ought to love one another and it should flow organically as Christ lives and dwells in us. But sometimes we have to choose to love mechanically. It's in those moments where we, where imitation actually becomes realization because when you choose to love, even when it doesn't seem natural, you begin to realize who you are and who God says you are, and what God says is true of you, rather than how you feel in that moment. You're, you're yielding to the life of Christ in you. You're choosing love. We'll talk more about the choice to love in a, in a moment, but what I'd like to do is kind of bring this back to how we started when we talked about the ugly side of church being an opportunity for growth. How is that an opportunity? And I think it's important to to, to define here spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. You see, when I was younger, I always thought that spiritual growth and maturity was was knowing the Bible, was sharing your faith, was having spiritual gifts or, or, or living really disciplined so you didn't sin too much. You know, spiritual growth was those things that I wasn't good at. Now, you could have all those characteristics and not be spiritually mature. Now, sometimes people who are spiritually mature, they they, they demonstrate those things, but it's not necessarily the essence of being spiritually mature. Spiritual growth is growing in love. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, um, Paul is correcting that church because they have all those traits that we associate with spiritual maturity and growth. But in chapter 13, he says, you do all this, but you lack love. I mean, what's funny is we read that passage at weddings, <laughs> love is patient, love is kind, but it's an indictment against the church in Corinth for their lack of love. Jesus says that you can sum up all the law and the prophets by simply saying, love God and love others. Spiritual growth is growing in love. As we discussed, God dwells in us, his spirit is doing a work in us. And the fruit of his work in us is what we call the fruit of the spirits. It's Galatians chapter five. Are you familiar with it? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wonder why love is the first one that's listed there. I I, I don't think it's happenstance. See, without love, you can't have any of the other fruits. All the other fruits flow from love. You can't have kindness and faithfulness if you don't have love. Remember what we read in verse 8 of this passage. Love is the most important fruit because if you don't have love, then you don't have God. And if you don't have God, then you certainly don't have the fruits of the Spirit. You see, I started this message saying, how, how can we grow from the ugly side of church? How is ugly side of church really an opportunity? And here it is. The ugly side of church is an opportunity for your growth because it's an opportunity for you to love. Let me say that again, the, the ugly side of church is an opportunity for your growth because it's an opportunity for you to love. The church is a band of natural born enemies who love each other for Christ's sake. And it's when we love each other for Christ's sake that we find ourselves growing, whether it flows organically or we have to choose it mechanically. The ugly side of church is opportunity for your growth because it's an opportunity for you to love. So what do we do? How do we, how do we, make sure we take advantage of that opportunity because just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean it's a guarantee. First of all, let me say this, be gospel fluent. I was reading a quote the other day and it said that your love isn't proportional to your forgiveness, it's proportional to your understanding of your forgiveness. This is what I'm saying when I say be gospel fluent. You see, you could be a Christian and not really grasp the gospel. If the gospel to you is something less than what it really is, if it's an addition or an enhancement to life, and it's not really the dealing with the the ugliness of ourselves and the goodness of god then it doesn't serve as the foundation like like paul used last week or like john this week the foundation for the therefore therefore love one another if we're gospel fluent we have that firm foundation to love one another being gospel fluent means this that you understand and appreciate just how sinful and undeserving that you are i mean if you don't recognize your lostness, then you really don't appreciate being found. Being gospel fluent means you understand that in your sinful condition that you are separated from a God who is holy and righteous. It means that you recognize that there is nothing that you can do about your condition. Being gospel fluent also means that we marvel that God took the initiative, that he took the initiative to do something about it in sending his son who would live a life we could not live and died in our place on our behalf, that we would be made right with God. And not just that, that when we put our trust in Him, that we would experience a new life, a life in relationship with Him, a life where He comes and dwells in us. That's gospel fluent. It positions us to more readily choose love. Let me illustrate this. Um, The act of forgiving someone, that requires you to choose love. So you don't hold offense and, and hold resentment. You choose love in order to show someone forgiveness. One of my favorite quotes about forgiveness actually ties in to the foundation that is the gospel. It's this, in the shadow of my, of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a reward to my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, there's that gospel fluency. Forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. Second thing I would say is um, be willing to question your own virtue. This, this step interrupts our natural tendency for self-justification. Normally, we are always right and everyone else is always wrong and it's always their fault. But if we can step back and say, maybe, maybe I'm not all right. Maybe, maybe I have had a a role in this or maybe I'm even to blame. We interrupt that tendency of of self-justification. We we make ourselves the victim when we justify ourselves and and we're blind to the possibility that we could even play a part. But gospel fluent people, and related to this, recognize that we have the capacity to play a part. Third, I would say abide in Christ so that your love can grow organically. We, We already saw how we love because we share his nature. So as we live in a relationship with him, we're able for his love to flow through us, to be an extension for his love. Now, we're no longer who we once were because of putting our trust in Jesus, but we're not yet who we will be. So there's room for growth for his life to take more and more of our life. And we need his spirit because it's a spirit that extends its love through us. We need his word because his word helps us to rightly define what love is. Our world defines love in a way that's not compatible with what God says is true of love or who God is. And if we let the world's definition and standard for love guide the way that we interact and love people, then we're gonna miss out on loving the way that God would have us love. Not only do we need his spirit and his word, we need need his people. We need one another. There are those who will model what it means to love and to grow in love that make us better. And then there are those who will challenge us and frustrate us. And they make us better too because there's an opportunity for growth as we choose to love. The fourth thing is this. Choose to reflect Christ even when it doesn't come naturally. Remember I said that Imitation becomes realization that sometimes it's great when we can love organically because Christ's life is flowing through us, but sometimes when it's hard to love, we need to choose love. A few weeks ago, I introduced the crying to walk in the spirit life skill about recognizing that my old life, that I'm dead to those things. I'm dead to the, the idea of being offended and revenge and resentment and division and holding a grudge. My life is lived in Christ. I know that my old life is past and that my life now is in Christ. That's no reckon and yield. I'm going to yield my body. And in this case, for most, most of us, it's, I'm going to yield my lips to the life of Christ in me. Most of us have learned patterns of how to deal with conflict. And we take those same patterns into how we interact with one another in the church. It's fighting or fleeing. And when we do that, the results of that can end up with a cold coexistence or even breaking fellowship. But those aren't the only two options. There's another option. It's to choose love by showing grace in those circumstances. One of my favorite definitions of grace comes from a a pastor and author named Joseph Cook from a long time ago. He 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 writes this, Grace is nothing more or less than the face that love wears when it meets imperfection, weakness, failure, and sin. Grace is what love is and what love does when it meets the sinful and undeserving. It's what enables us to see beyond one another's faults so that we can love one another without reference to whether that love has been earned or deserved. It's what God does when he reaches out in love, sinful as we are, and welcomes us into relationship with Himself. Perhaps there is a relationship in your own life that needs restoration. How will you choose love today in that relationship? Let me give you a helpful hint if you feel pressed or moved to show love. The helpful hint is this. It doesn't matter what the other party does or doesn't do. It doesn't matter if they accept or reject your effort to show love. You're only responsible for you. And when you love, you win. If you're not a Christian today, I'd encourage you to embrace the good news of of the gospel. You may have walked in thinking that this whole church thing, this whole Christianity thing was about religious obligation, about the to do list of, of religion. And I hope you heard me in this message that it's not about that at all. It's about a relationship with God who saves us and then gives us a new life that we live with him. I hope when you heard me challenge the Christians listening today to be gospel fluent, you heard the message of the gospel, that we are sinful and separated and nothing we can do could change that. But God took the initiative to save us by sending his son, Jesus. I don't know what led you to turn this service on this morning, but I would ask you, why do you think God has you here in this moment? And I don't know what kind of background you have or what kind of uh, hoops you think you need to run through. You simply need to cross the line of faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and call on him. If you cross that line of faith today, or as you consider this message and think about what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, I'd encourage you to to let us know. Let us know so we can help come alongside you, you, help you resource you in this new life of faith. I wanna close today with a passage of scripture. God's word helps us define love. So let me read you Paul's words of the church in Corinth. If I could speak with all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about the injustices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us and all that you've given us to live the life you've called us to, a life to bear fruit and, give you, and bring you glory, a life where all the to-dos and the therefores are based on what it is you have done on our behalf, what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in love, that we would love because your life is flowing through us. And in those moments where we we find it hard to yield to your life, may we choose love. and Once again, yield to be who we are, who you said we are. Thank you, Lord, that we indeed share in your nature. Help us to love, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.